Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 2nd of May 2022. Dobro to all you Ukrainian speakers, which means good morning for those of you who don't. Let's start with, this is probably one of the most, you know, if, you, if I thought I was ever going to be quoting these prices when I did a market report in this 12 months that we're trading in, yeah, this is shocking where we're at in, in a sense. All contracts we've ever done with any farmer is all lower than what we're trading at at the moment. Well, I have said that on a number of occasions now, which is quite scary, and it still seems to be in the mood of going up. So let's start with that. It is a friendly market report, even though the market is incredibly high. So the most dominating feature in our sentiment or in our mind is the drought in the UK. Heavy land is holding on very well. I'm with James Forrest, who's a Suffolk farmer on heavy land. And in the podcast, you hear about the condition down there, which at the moment is in in good nick. But some of the lands on lighter stuff around the coast and so on, some of the stuff up in Norfolk is beginning to struggle. And I'm sure certain parts of the country have similar problems. And there's not any real relief coming. There's a bit of rain in the forecast, but not enough. So the sentiment from every farm is, I ain't selling nothing with this kind of mood. In saying that, the prices have hit some magic levels, which has tempted the odd bit out, because you can't justify turning some of these prices down. So let's get into some of the rhyme and reason before we get into prices. On cereals, the biggest issue sentiment-wise, as I say, UK drought. But on top of that, we have dry southern plains in the US, and their weekly crop report came out with a 27% good to excellent rating, which is the lowest in 33 years. So it's been very dry, and it is still very dry in that area. So it's going to be a lighter uh, wheat crop coming out of the southern plains or the winter wheat crop of America. In the north, where they want to be planting corn, they are at their, I think, their lowest planting rate since 2012, I think it was. But they're well behind their normal average. They're slow starting. There is some odd dry bits of weather, but there's also plenty of rain hanging around as well. So there's a delay to the planting of corn, which is, in a normal sense, is kind of always enough to kick the market a little bit and give some speculators a chance to trade off it. But when you've got the incredibly tinder dry conditions that we're in at the moment, then a a wildfire is is possible because of the panic that uh, already ensued with the war and so on. So in other words, there's a bullish mood if that weather doesn't start behaving itself. The biggest influence, in my opinion, on the market at the moment for feed grains is actually in Brazil uh, or South America generally where the second corn crop is developing it's very dry there as well and they're already beginning to write the crop size down everyone's been expecting a bumper crop or relying on a bumper crop from there but i suspect by the time we get to may the 12th and the next usda report they should be trimming back those yields a bit which is going to again add fuel to the fire so sentiment mood weather forecasts uh, europe is dry as well within all of that is really still friendly i'm afraid if you're a consumer would be due if you're a farmer but what the hell if, it, if there isn't any decent yield it isn't going to benefit you either so we could really do with a nice rain just to give us something to trade next year right so that's the background 
On top of that, you have the war in the Ukraine, which is very clearly going to drag. Vlad is now threatening us with nuclear war, which is heartwarming. So the logistics in the Ukraine are such that, you, obviously, if you can't ship the stuff out of the ports that they've designed and built and geared up to get rid of their exports through, then they're not going to clear the surplus that they've got. There's been some hits on some grain silos, so the storage facilities have been hit a little bit. Um, and I think that there's an amount that can get out on train, but as my good friend Scott Welcome on one of his reports, we were having a chat, basically saying that the gauge size of the rails in uh, the Ukraine are wider than the ones in Europe, so everything that goes out by rail has to then get transshipped from the containers on the Ukraine side to the other side and it's a not that easy a process it slows it up so a certain amount's going out by rail a little bit's going out by barge there's not much moving is they can't physically or logistically move enough and they've got a, a stock from last year they've got damaged grain silos and they've got even if they do get 50% of next year's crop there is inevitably going to be a logistics storage issue for that tonnage so I'm afraid I think that is remaining a very underlying bullish story so having set your plate for your meal it's a very very bullish scenario let's get into prices old crop wheat is going through a bit of a strange period the, the May futures are trading at the moment we're able to take advantage if they get squeezed. It looks like someone is slightly short and they are getting squeezed, uh, which if they want to buy that tonnage in that they've got sold, they have to pay up for it. Now, if they can't tender, if they haven't got a store, and I've talked about this in previous years, so go back to one of the May editions from last year or the year before, if you don't own a physical future store and you're short of futures, you always run the risk of being unable to buy them in again. And possibly that's happening. I'm not sure. I think I doubt someone is that foolish, but uh, if they are, they're going to have to pay up for it. So that's going to keep the market supported until they get rid of their short position, which means they've got to buy futures. There's only some kind people like me who are prepared to let them out. If I can buy wheat into store, I can then tender futures to, to cover it. And it, it really does boil down to I'm not buying very much wheat at all. Farmers are not letting wheat come forward. So there isn't much of a get out. We've done what we're supposed to do. And the only stuff we're going to do in the future is if someone pays enough money on the futures for us to buy some grain in and then tender it so it is quite complex but as soon as that may futures is off the board i don't think there's a problem i, I truly don't think old crop wheat is going to go to the sky i appreciate some parts of Jockland and, and northern england are a bit tight for wheat but i think there's enough uh, and certainly down in this corner there's enough so the farmers who've got their may contracts moving now they're going to know what they've got left there will be some tonnages traded during may for june movement which will cover all of june and take us into july and it's then how much do we need to keep up our shirt for that july portion to make sure our consumers are supplied and i think there will be bits creeping out of the woodwork here and there we are aware of some tonnages not big ones but enough tonnage to satisfy that need and i think it will come but in the next two weeks, I'm afraid we're sticking with very high prices. So old crop, and, and that applies for feed barley, £300 a tonne X farm standing on your head, maybe a tad more. And malting barley, if you've got the right grades, talk to us if you've got something you think that might make it. Planet is in demand, Laureate's in demand. Not so much Diablo, no, most people have finished on that. Craft, possibly, it depends. There's a number of deliveries still to be made. If someone gets rejected, they're going to be chasing around trying to find a replacement, and I don't think there's much of that left. But it's going to be a premium to feed, so you've got to guess something like 320 for someone to bother to attempt to get it into a maltings. And, if it, and bluntly, if you don't, if you can't be asked, then £300 a tonne's fine, isn't it? Let's face it, you know. Um, the big thing is we'll go into next year, right, the maltsers will have a certain number of tonnes in stock because they always have to do that for the early part of the season because they have to use stuff that's recovered. But 
they will be on bare boards and, and we're relying very heavily on next harvest already. So old crop is fabulous. You know, and, and rape, 850 oh, you name your price almost, it feels like. That will finish when they shut the site down. But, you, you know, if you hold it and carry it into next year, well, I'll come on to the rate price for new crop in a second. Right, so let's start with new crop. Um, we've got to the place where we're now able to pay £300 a tonne X farm for feed wheat in next seasons. Not at harvest time, but probably the first month you can make it at the point of recording is about 300 extra March 24. No, hang on, March 23, sorry. Yes, this is that. That reminds me of a comment a farmer said. He said, I'm not going to sell needle, it gets to 200. So he sold some at 200. Then he said, Right, you know, well, I'll sell my next bit at 300. So he sold a little bit at 300. He said, I'm not selling anymore till it's 400. <laughs> and that genuinely happened this week, which I think is funny. Anyway, yeah, but hey, maybe we'll be discussing that in about five weeks' time. So, wheat, £300 a tonne for March 2023. You know, if you take harvest values, 285 to 290 somewhere around there 292 delivered store is what we'd pay at this precise second um i guess if it keeps going up it becomes the magic target for harvest at 300 and who would say that in a week's time i'm not bidding that i it doesn't it's beginning to feel like the bubble should burst a bit but hey it's crazy times so wheat is firm um no one's gonna trade million wheat premiums because you don't know what spec you're gonna get and are you gonna bother to put all that nitrogen on for the sake of a small premium that premium's got to go up for the effort you're putting in to achieve it you know why spend you know nitrogen at 800 pounds a ton how much do you put on for that extra bit of protein what's your premium I, i'm beginning to doubt whether that's covered so uh, to my milling friends uh, i think the premium's going to have to creep up a bit and that is a europe-wide thing no one's going to be offering uh, high protein wheats cheaply i don't think we've done wheat therefore we go on to uh, barley malting barley is over £300 a tonne for harvest. No one's selling anything. It's a dreamt of price. With the drought occurring, obviously the nerves are jangling in terms of uh, nitrogen levels. So my recommendation at this moment is wait and see what the weather does in the next two or three weeks before you commit to it. As I say, you're going to be able to make £300 a tonne for it pretty well for any grade um, harvest onwards. It's fabulous new crop malting barley prices. Uh, new crop feed barley prices are trading around a £15 discount a wheat. So harvest would be in the region of 270 275 You know, if you feel like selling something, then by all means phone us up. But that's roughly a guide to you at this point. We are friendly to the market, so we're not rushing you into selling it. Oilseed rape, the price for harvest oilseed rape at point of recording is 725 Wow. That's before premium. The Canadian crop is 7% lower. There's been an announcement in Indonesia they're not going to export palm oil, although that's a bit of a dim-ass thing to do because they haven't got enough storage to cope with what they produce, so they probably will be exporting some of it, but it's certainly been an underlying bullish statement that's come out. And obviously the Ukrainian situation, sunflower production, etc. How much is going to come out, if any at all? So there's fundamentally a shortage of oil. Rapeseed oil has a, a bigger and bigger demand. So yeah, it is um, fantastic prices. And the crop up in this corner looks particularly well. So from a farming perspective, I think that it's going to be a profitable year. I think that you've got to hope upon hope that that rain comes because that's going to make a massive difference 
you know, and I think all of us are winging, well, no, we are praying or hoping that, that all of you are satisfied with fabulous rains in the next month because that would make such a difference to all of us. Anyway, so if ever there was the most positive priced market report ever, then I think this one definitely takes the biscuit. Anyway, with that, thanks for listening and enjoy my conversation with a proper Suffolk farmer on proper heavy land. And uh, yeah, enjoy. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, today I've travelled down south towards the uh, equator and I'm in Suffolk and I'm uh, in the company of uh, Mr James Forrest. Hello James. Morning Andrew. And uh, I understand you've never listened to one of our podcasts. No, I haven't actually. I'm, a, I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't, but um, like anything to do with Norfolk, if I travel that far north, I usually make sure I take my passport with me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I got in your yard and I was delighted to feel famous when your foreman, Rob, said... I recognise your voice. So he listens, doesn't he? He does. And actually, my secretary a few weeks ago did send me the link to your podcast. But like a lot of things, I haven't quite managed to get round to it yet. Well, no, I, <laughs> I only started listening when I started doing my own podcast to make my listening figures look better. <laughs> I'm up to four now, listeners. <laughs> I pr- trust they're all from Norfolk. <laughs> well, no, Rob, no. He's, I, he's my you know foreign delegate. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the first and most pressing question, you know, as at recording, we're at the end of April... Drought. Let's talk about that. Well, that's an interesting one, really, isn't it? We've had two or three quite dry springs now. We've certainly been looking at how we prepare our land specifically for spring crops. We've had two or three wet autumns. Last year was the best autumn we've had in a long while, and Mm -hmm. we were able to mostly drill what we wanted to in the way of autumn crops. We're farming, the majority of what we farm is heavy land anyway, so we're perhaps a little less reliant on rainfall than some of the lighter land growers might be. Yeah, because right at this moment, I mean, the crops look amazing yeah. at this precise second, don't they? They really look good. How much more can they take? Is The the, the winter crops do look good, and I think where the soil structure is in good order, mm-hmm. soil conditions are good, the winter crops do look really pretty good. Um, anywhere where there's compaction or, or wet areas, then it's that's where it doesn't look quite so good. I think they've got a while as yet before they start becoming stressed due to lack of moisture hopefully the the soil structure is in good order and and the roots can get down into that moisture that's in the clay beneath the topsoil certainly on the lighter land and we do farm some lighter land that will obviously show signs of drought sooner than the heavy land Um, but we we do grow a bit of parsley here Mm -hmm. and because it's a very small seed and needs quite a fine seed bed that's only ever drilled into dry soil we don't have irrigation um, so we have to rely on it raining before that actually starts to grow. So that is my primary concern at the yeah. moment. The spring barley that's gone yeah. in, the majority of it went into decent seed beds, and where it has, it's it's grown, it's come up really nice and evenly. 
there was one or two bits where it was following some late harvested parsley or sugar beet last year where the headlands may have had a bit of extra traffic mm-hmm. and the uh, establishment and, and germination hasn't been quite as even as the rest of it but generally I'm, I'm pretty happy with so it's going to be a heavy land year isn't it i think it could be at the moment that's certainly how it looks a, a nice half inch of rain steady half inch of rain overnight would be really good yeah. whilst we were sugar beet drilling um we did have to stop for a couple of days because we did have some rain i, I can't remember when that was probably three weeks ago now yeah might have even been a month so you know april showers almost seems to be a thing of the past um i remember we have been well with 30 to 40 percent of rain in the east 30 to 40 percent of normal april rainfall i saw carol kirkwood this morning she told me that Oh, yes. Well, uh, she she should know, shouldn't she? (laughs) I think, actually, um, talking about weather, I heard on the radio this morning when I was drawing my cows that um, Michael Fish just turned 70 today. Uh, The weatherman, oh, there's not going to be a storm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, talk about big birthdays. I've just had one of them, thanks very much. Yes, so have I, but mine wasn't quite as far down the line as yours. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not as far as Michael Fish, which I guess, you know, there's hope yet, eh? Um, Yeah, so... Heavy land is in a position where it's good for three or four weeks before it, it you start could easily worrying. Be, yes, and I suppose whilst we've seen some warmer temperatures today, when I drove in my truck, the temperature was about nine degrees. Mm. Um, it felt colder than that in your did, yard. Yes, it did feel colder than that in the yard. Um, we're sort of a little bit on the top of the hill here, and the wind does cut across here a bit. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not at this point in time. I'm not too concerned about the the winter crops on mm. the heavy land. And to a degree, the spring crops on the heavier land, where there's been less good emergence, is where I'd really like to see some rain. The majority of the beet have come through well. And just going back to what I was saying earlier about seed beds, now if we go back in time, a lot of the land that we were planting spring crops into, we would have ploughed in the autumn. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now we're doing very little ploughing mm-hmm. for spring crops. We might plough after sugar beet if that's the right thing to do. Um, but the last year or two, we have actually been leaving some of that sugar beet land and cultivating it just in front of the drill. We um, we use a Vadastat top down and have done for many years. And we've also been experimenting with cultivating the land and pressing it in the autumn mm-hmm. to try and give a more even the seed bed to plant into. What we're really trying to do is as little cultivation in the spring. Well, this is the new the new thing to retain not, the know, moisture and cover crops. So you get, yes, you we've had to go with cover crops. Um, in fact, we even graze some sheep on some of the lighter land mm-hmm. this year. We we grew some oil radish, and we've done that for a few years now in in various places. If we're overwintering or if we're cultivating in the autumn for spring crops, uh, if there's a black grass problem, we won't plant a, a cover mm-hmm. crop because we then have the opportunity to go in there with some glyphosate and and take out the black grass when it grows. But quite interesting this year, actually, where we had some vigorous cover crop growth, we sprayed that off with glyphosate in good time late winter, and they were some of the better drilling conditions for sugar beet that we had. The land cultivated the best. One block that we were putting spring barley in, interestingly, there was some black grass that had grown which we wanted but we weren't able to get it was too wet to get on the land to spray it off in good time and that was amazing how much moisture that black grass took out of the soil and how much more work the seed bed required to make a decent seed bed to drill barley in but all in all i think i'm quite content with how the spring crops have gone in yeah i mean just dwelling on that, that cover crop thing at the moment this is the debate is getting pretty intense and everyone wants to be involved in mm-hmm. reinventing the wheel or whatever um I mean, are there ever going to be enough sheep for the number of people who want to put cover crops in from now on? Do you know what I mean by that? If everybody starts to do that process, um, we're going to see more and more sheep in the eastern counties, are we not? 
Well, I think if we look back to our perhaps our grandfather's day, animals in the rotation was the norm, uh, especially on the lighter land. Until about 12 years ago, we didn't have any livestock on the farm, uh, and I established a herd of red pole cows back mm. in 2010. We've actually put some grass. We're growing grass this year for seed production, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm hoping that we might get a little grazing or some hay from that. Um, we do grow grass for silage as well and meadows and what have you that we graze uh, and bale. I mean, the cows are for the meadows? or the right. cow, You don't use them on any of your cover crops or anything? Like Not that. at the moment, although one of the cover crops that we did establish in the autumn of 21, uh, I did have a chap approach me and ask me if he could graze his sheep, Yeah, uh, which we have done, and they really did do quite a good job. Mm. Um, but it's it's on quite light land near Ipswich. And their feet had sort of made the surface of the soil go quite tight. And we did actually have to just pull through it to loosen it. But the beet have come up well. Mm-hmm. And we have tried a strip cultivator as well. So just cultivating. Although the, the land was top-downed and, and pressed yeah. when we established the oil radish in the autumn. And it grew really well. The surface had gone quite crusty. So we had to break that crust. We were still able to make a good seed bed. So we've had a trial with a strip cultivator, which we've drilled into, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Mm. Um, But, yeah, the the cover crop thing I've been keeping an eye on for for many years now, and it seems a good idea in principle if you can get a good growth, some good roots. I think we have seen some quite interesting results in terms of either how the soil works or crop performance. There, There do seem to be some benefits to it, without question. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely the hot topic, and mm. with added carbon uh, influence, oh, yes. you know. That, I mean, the the big message I always put out is is maintain ownership of your carbon for as long as you can, because the competition will hot up for it. Mm. But if you go through the process of cover cropping and reducing your nitrogen input, and you know, improving soil structure or whatever the the roots do, um, you tick some boxes for some consumers to say that the production of this has, has reduced nitrogen by X amount and there's less passing or you know no ploughing or whatever. Um, those are things that are going to help end products if you meet their protocol mm. to convince the world that their product is carbon neutral, which is what we're all aspiring. Whether it's really, really true is another story, but the dynamic of making effort towards it is definitely going to help. You asked me if there was going to be enough sheep. Um, I don't really know the answer to that. What I do firmly believe is that we should perhaps be thinking about how things were done in the past in terms of rotational grazing, different cover crops, perhaps um, mixtures that include legumes, clovers, things like that, to try and not only improve the soil structure but the fertility as well. Mm. We actually apply quite a lot of organic material to the farm anyway, mm-hmm. or straw for muck arrangements. We bring in limex from the beet factory. Mm-hmm. We use biosolids from Anglian Water and uh, the muck that we have from our own cattle. So there's quite a lot of the farm that gets treated. We bring in green waste as well, so compost, mm-hmm. and apply that. It's, it's an awful lot of work to do it, but it feels right. And your soil health must... The soil definitely works better for mm. it, and, and we're trying to do it across the board wherever we can. We run a couple of muck spreaders and, and um, try and apply what we can during the summertime or you know, early autumn.
so there's, as you say, this carbon thing, there's so many things to consider these days, it makes your head spin sometimes. Just a bit, yeah. I, well, you know, that, that's a, a subject, as I say, that's bubbling along nicely, but, the, but step one is get yourself organised on the right cover crops, on the right thing for your particular farm, and it is, definitely isn't one size fits all, is it? Is there's no Oh, way. no, it isn't. The other, I mean, we do have a reasonable chunk of spring cropping on the farm. We've been sugar beet growers for years and years. Mm-hmm. We've been used to having spring crops in the rotation, and... I think it's so important to have those spring crops in the rotation because not only does it spread the workload, certainly on the heavier land, it, it helps keep the black grass in check and it just keeps everybody nicely busy throughout those times rather than having you know, a huge workload in the autumn to do and not well, so much it, in the spring. Heavy land has a tighter timeline to work in than some of the Norfolk boys. You know, it's, you know, as you call it, boys land up there. But you really do, if you don't get on by a certain date in the autumn, it's too late. And Yeah, we do need, well, we always used to say we need horsepower down here and, and the ability to get on. But I think there's a certain element of that is true. But having said that, by spreading the cropping, and I think we grow eight or nine different crops on the farm now, which includes wheat and winter and spring barley, sugar beet, oilseed rape, triticale, parsley, grass. We have grown maize on and off after the parsley, but we're not planning to do too much of that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we can spread our workload, and we might not need such big implements that we've had because right. of the cropping and because of the spread of the workload. Yeah. And actually, sometimes it might sound a bit odd, but perhaps going from one big machine to two smaller machines that you could use throughout the year more rather than being... Yeah. tied to using just for cultivating you yeah. may be able to employ those machines rather more efficiently which is i think what we've got to think well, about every penny has to be looked at and Absolutely. every piece of data has to be recorded it's uh, which particular recording form are you going to use yeah let's move on to, so 2022 the prospects are you know we've heard a lawfully large amount on the radio in in the newswires about the cost of fertilizer mm. the cost of fe- mm. fuel mm. the cost of everything not as much has been made of the much higher grain prices i mean the prospects at this moment are very good in my maths book how do you feel about it you know you're looking at a good-looking crop on heavy land that's going to survive a drought. Prices are very high. Input costs are very high. You know, if you have a bonanza year, let's say, what would you spend your money on? Well, it certainly won't be a new yacht in the med. <laughs> There's some, some <laughs> I would... going cheap nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I would quite like to put up a new grain store and um, sometime in the future a new drying plant. I suppose we have got to just, in all the excitement of these higher prices, we have got to consider the input costs we've never seen fertilizer or fuel at the levels they are at the moment the the livestock producers that have grain that are grain dependent in their rations i just well, feel I, desperately it, sorry for at the moment i'm, I'm just just quite having never listened to my podcast you know i represent predominantly the cereal sector so we're mm-hmm. the you know it's bonanza time absolutely the egg producers pig producers and up until recently milk producers yeah. were being held down I mean, I've got friends that have all those things, and um, it's it's a tricky one, Andrew, really, because it's great, but the reality of it is the prices do need to be higher to pay for increased wages, increased fuel, mm. the fertiliser. I mean, I've, we've just never had this level of volatility, I suppose. Um, and as we were talking before this podcast began, you know, with all the excitement of Brexit and then COVID, the last thing the world needed was a, a war in the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, it, it would just be wonderful to have a little bit of stability. 
I mean, it's impossible to plan at the moment, really. You know, you, you make a budget in the morning and almost by the afternoon, the numbers are completely changed. I think you have to, at this point, take a view that this war is not going to go away quickly and it is this immense damage done for to infrastructure in Ukraine. They're producing less tonnage, but even then they can't necessarily get it into the silos. Mm. So this could be a storage issue, and uh, you've got to write more off coming from the Ukraine than you thought, so it is going to hold prices up. And at this moment, the crop forecast in the States is dropping the spec on, or the good to excellent is dropped down by three points on on, uh, winter wheat, and Brazil's beginning to go into a drought. (laughs) You know, at this moment, all the arrows point north. So I think you can be a bit optimistic, and certainly you could sell forward at a good profitable price, but there is no farmer selling going on, and I think everyone is kind of stuck in this, what do we do next? I would say it's an optimistic time. There will be some money in the system. But whether you consolidate and keep it or whether you say, right, now's the time to invest, is that really is the brave call, isn't it? That is the brave call, without question. And I think we like to try and take the long-term view here. Mm. We've been investments that have been made over the years in either land or buildings or machinery. You know, they're long-term investments. You don't it, it, Farming is not something that you can dip in and out of. I try and take the long-term view with everything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to, because otherwise you probably wouldn't do anything at all. And I don't like short-term agreements, particularly FBTs have, have not been good for no. farming, because often... It's not been good for land, it's not no, been it good hasn't. for the PR aspect of how farmers appear to the general People just taking as much as they can out of land has never been a brilliant plan, has it? No, and then someone else has to come along and sort out the mess, but I think... You know, whilst I want to throw my arms up in the air and, and jump up and down with glee and say, aren't these prices wonderful? I suppose at the moment, if you sold all your last year's harvest before the prices really shot up, mm-hmm. you haven't got anything to throw your arms up in the air about. No. Equally, the prices for next year and beyond, we don't really know. You can we know the, the fertiliser prices yeah. are going to be yeah. high, but we, we don't quite know where we're going to be on that score. So I, I suppose perhaps thinking on the conservative side, now is perhaps a time to just take stock a bit, batten the hatches down and not do anything too rash. Well, you mentioned a grain store and a new dryer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, on paper, it's kind of like, ooh, that's, it never makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, you talk about long term, we've been ploughing our money into a central store at Cantley um, and for... 10 years it's been a you know in the end there's no money in it like if i put money in other things i'd have made a lot more money out mm. of it but i wouldn't have a grain store that no. all of a sudden has become incredibly useful in harvest 21 but more importantly and you've done this because you've you've got a shed that's only a few years old here everything that you've spent the money on the concrete is now 60 to 70 percent more expensive the steel oh. is goodness knows how much more expensive so to actually start from scratch to do what you've done would cost you twice as much well, I'm thankful for what my late father did during his career. Since I took over from him, we have invested in buildings and drainage and concrete and that sort of thing. That's what I was brought up with. Mm. So it's sort of in the system, in the blood, if you like. I suppose we have just got permission to put a new building up and drying plant. My hesitation at the moment, I suppose, would be... Just the uncertainty, it must Well, be. The un- not just the uncertainty, but from when we started looking at this project three or four years ago... And having it priced up, um, you know, when you look at a grain store and drying plant, the majority, what isn't steel is concrete. Yeah. Both those things have rocketed in price. So is now the right time to be making that level of investment? I mean, it's a the existing drying plant is nearly 40 years old. That was put up when I was quite a young man. I was um, almost still in short trousers 
yeah. we need to you know we need to be thinking about the next 40 years and, and actually I suppose when you're thinking about quite a major capital investment like that you have got to look at it over the long term and I know what the quote was two years ago whatever it was it'll be interesting to see how much that's changed <laughs> that would be very interesting and we can then decide whether that change helps us make up our mind whether we do it or not yeah I, I just can't see concrete and steel getting cheaper that's the, the, the energy to produce these things Energy's the thing. Mm. Energy is the big, you know, carbon killing item, isn't it? It's one of those things, isn't it? When things go up in price, they go up incredibly quickly. Look what happened at the mm. at the petrol stations. Fuel goes up. It comes back a lot slower. They don't put the price down yeah. as quick as that goes up. No. And and the trouble is when profits. people start paying for things yeah. and the suppliers know that people will pay for those things there is a great reluctance for the price to come down. But everyone needs to make a living. And I think that the suppliers, if they're in a position to reduce their prices, that they've got to come down and play play fair. Well, play fair, it's opportunity makes a thief in this. That's moment. almost a, another podcast in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, th- I mean, on that note, I mean, we've kind of covered the ground that I was anticipating talking about. It's, it's trying to get a perspective for people. We have a lot of listeners, you know, believe it or not, outside the country as well. Giving them a, an insight into the state of the crop in Suffolk is a very, you know, large county, very big um, mm. production, largely heavy all the way through, except for yeah, the there's, coast. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy land in Suffolk, but, I mean, there's some very good vegetable growers out near the coast on some very light land but yeah. i mean that's i can't speak with inexperience on their businesses no. because that's not my world well, as that, it were it's that's a different job going to be feeling a bit poorly with the weather we've recently had yes. but yeah. you know every now and again you it has very good malting barley from that coastal area as well but yeah. it's you know predominantly suffolk's going to be in a good good strong position it had yes. a great autumn so you know the, the report from suffolk uh, as, as i kind of sign off is largely we're optimistic as we head in, into this harvest uh, and the barley is now coming into ear as as we record i spotted my yes first I, I, yes today. there is little bits here and there which is not always good to see because they reckon when when a plant is stressed the first thing that does is run to seed isn't it so <laughs> well 10 weeks ear to shear mid-july Yes, I, I just find it frightening how quickly the time goes, and, and we're two or three days away from May. It doesn't seem five minutes ago we were in, in celebrating Christmas. No. Well, listen, <laughs> or that, Easter. that gets quicker. The next decade will, you know, when you catch me up, it goes even quicker. Forty years ago, my grandfather said to me, um, he said, the older you get, he said, the, the quicker the time will go. And I, at the time I was still at school, I must have been about eight or ten years old, and that couldn't go anywhere near quick enough then. No, no, maths lessons <laughs> lasted oh, a day, yeah. didn't they? Or felt yeah. like it, you know. Yeah, it Anyway, James, I fully appreciate uh, that you didn't really know what my podcast was all about. When you do listen to your first podcast, which will be you, I guess, on it, yeah, I hope you enjoy it, and thank you very much for actually taking the time to do it. No, it's a pleasure. I shall cringe a bit, and um, I suppose I should take the opportunity to wish all my friends in Norfolk uh, <laughs> a successful spring and a, good, and a bountiful harvest. Thank you very much. I'm sure they'll appreciate a it. Safe journey back to Norfolk. Cheers. Doing Grain. Call Doing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.